And this is Kekat. Kekat. Hey everyone, welcome to the eleventh episode of Kekat. I am your host and storyteller, Kairav Shah. In today's episode, today's Kekat, I am joined by Vatsal Goswami. Now, Vatsal is a good friend. He is an Indologist, basically people who study Indian history, Indian culture, and languages. He is also an Acharya, that is Hindu gurus who speak on Indian philosophy and spirituality. He is a Sanskrit scholar, a Sanskrit teacher, author of two books on Hindu philosophy, and lastly, an history buff. Uh, well, I know Vatsal since three years now, and I have had amazing, open, free, and healthy discussions with Vatsal on topics like God, science, religion, casteism, Indian history, and philosophy. I have asked Vatsal blatant and no sugar-coated questions on these topics, which is also pretty much the crux of this episode. And he has always answered, or I would say, responded with open mind and healthy approach to my direct questions. He is also one of the very few people I know whose knowledge in this specific topics I really, really respect. His answers make sense to me from a rational perspective. So this episode is a raw, unfiltered, honest, and transparent conversation on these topics, on questions which every twenty-something have or should have. I did not even had to edit this episode because every second of this conversation was pure gold. So hope you like it. I mean, you can just finish the movie and start watching. I right think I have to say that was one of the points that I should like this. Escalate, you know, I interview you know, you know, you know, you know, And this is Kekat. Kekat. So I mean, the, uh, I will be like pretty straightforward, like pretty no sugar coated questions, no unfiltered. Yeah. So, uh, like, so I mean, these are like not completely my questions, but I have like listed down points which I want to speak mm-hmm. about, which I wanted your views on. And these are not like completely my questions. These are the questions like most twenty year olds or most, I guess, millennial, you can say, have questions in mind. So, uh, feel free to correct me. Feel free to like pardon me if I step over the line, and it's not gonna be anything, something very, you know, out of the box or something. But it can be a very basic questions. That's what I'm saying. But I want to speak about very, very basic questions because that's the question we all have, you know. Uh, so yeah, but you know, let's let's uh, speak about the basics. Let's be very honest, and uh, we'll have a very honest conversation today. Yes. So that's not the first thing I'm really liking. So and uh, even uh, as a speaker who often gets to speak about religion, mm-hmm. uh, really even my audience is not such that they can accommodate no filters. Yeah. Okay. So I oh, actually that's... love the. Huh? I'm saying no, no audience. audience. <laughs> yeah. You you cannot create yeah. filters for everyone, but yeah. Yeah, that that's very true. So. you know if i am given an opportunity to talk my heart out i love those opportunities and uh, that also gives me a sense of uh, honesty like from within no because i don't have to moderate my talk you will do the editing <laughs> i don't have to yeah i mean it's, it's yeah it, this will be a tough job but I, you know what like uh, for those who don't know i mean i met you like 3 3 3 years back right 3 around 3 years back mm, like uh, yeah and for me uh, i would say like you are someone who is a sanskrit scholar who has been teaching sanskrit from a very very long time and i mean i personally think that you know about history more than anyone or when it comes to religion i have not found anyone who can uh, who have answered my question satisfactorily basis who i who i think that 
have makes sense or makes sense when it comes to certain questions so this is my kind of an introduction usually i you know share my perspective or story of how i met a particular guest but this time i'm going to ask you or request you to introduce yourself because i may not do complete justice of what you exactly do uh what you exactly you know future uh, sorry basically your history is when it comes to this specific topic so please go ahead yeah all right so hi everyone my name is vatsal goswami and i belong to an acharya parampara of a sampraday within hinduism now uh, if you read a little bit about hinduism we all know hinduism is uh, basically just indian culture because we have hindus who are uh, strict vegetarians we also have hindus who are eating meat we have hindus who are wearing white we have hindus like hindu priests who are wearing white we have hindu priests who are shaving their heads we have hindu priests who are not cutting their hairs so there is no real uh, definition of what a hindu eats or what a hindu wears or what a hindu does or even what a hindu believes in so a sampraday is something which actually ensures that a particular set of ideas or a particular ideology actually goes through and touches the lives of people and these sampradays are varied so together when i take take all the sampradays together then hinduism comes together so one such sampraday is pushti bhakti marg which uh, propagates uh, uh, achieving krishna or achieving god through bhakti so not going into the details of the sampraday because that would be going out of topic but i am the acharya of one of one of such sampradays and uh, being in an acharya i'm in a position to basically direct people in their every day to day lives from the point of view of, from the perspective of what uh, i would say the philosophy of life should be so philosophy is again a very abstract subject and when it comes to day to day life you cannot really connect philosophy all the time so that is the job of the acharya to bridge the gap between philosophy and practicality for example i would say uh, ahimsa or uh, non violence is a philosophy but the the manifestation of the philosophy happens in the habits that we uh, don't kill animals when we eat that's a very simple way of connecting a philosophical thought into something which is very practical so the vegan movement or the vegetarian movement which is happening today is something which happened in india like thousands of years ago but this is a, a straightforward example of what an acharya does it connects practical living with philosophical thought so that is who i am i belong to a lineage of uh, 500 years a lineage of vallabhacharya and i plan on carrying forward his legacy with me as well so that's my short introduction and uh, me personally i i have already written two books uh, on vallabhacharya's philosophy one was a children's book i don't really count that but the second one is uh, an academic level book which will be published uh, through university so yes i do count that and uh, besides that i'm taking classes in sanskrit i'm teaching vallabhacharya's philosophy from my home from home hai to yeah from my home right now and uh, also through a lot of webinars actually after this covid specially so yeah that's who i am and uh, i think kev yeah, i can take your next question if i have yeah, explained I mean, myself yeah, that, that's that's actually perfect i mean i'm glad that i asked you to introduce yourself but yeah again this it's not going to be like me completely asking you question it's also going to be a discussion so don't yeah. feel completely pressurized that i'm going to bombard you with questions 
but you know what i wanted to start with a certain question but this just dropped in my mind because you spoke about your you know background that when you when you say you, you live in you go, were born and brought up in mumbai right if i'm not wrong right yeah and uh, it's kind of so you were actually a part of a normal schooling or you also had a completely different schooling which was out so i just wanted to have your perspective or your viewpoint because you know if a kid is living in a extreme urban part of india that is mumbai and it is a core mumbai right uh, mm. i would say like a fifth grader or a sixth grader convincing him to get mm. indulged into something uh, which mm. completely doesn't make sense to that person or that kid at that particular age how did you convince mm. yourself or what made you think that okay this is a route which i also want in my life or this is a route which i also want to take in my life or it was just a family you know uh no, but against the no, family virasat it was not like that so i have had a journey from right from being a hardcore leftist like hardcore leftist and uh, right from that there was a phase i've gone through so many phases you know and that is why i think i have a very mature outlook to this so my very first phase was uh, as a kid i read about indian national congress and history and how the freedom movement played a big role and i was a hardcore congress supporter and uh, like unity and pretty much all leftist thoughts so and as i grew up i realized that uh, schooling is one thing and then when you start living your practical life that's another but even within your practical life uh there are certain experiences which happen here and there and not even experiences like something which happens to you but certain thought process which you suddenly start thinking about a very direct question would be who am i why am i doing this why am i liking this why am i not liking this so here we start entering into philosophy gradually and uh, where my tradition helped me greatly was i was exposed to these philosophies at a very early age so whereas most people are exposed to religion yes but uh, unfortunately most people are not exposed to the philosophy behind what actions you do the thought process which goes behind why you're doing certain things and uh, hinduism is rich in such philosophy hinduism the religion which hinduism or all the sampradayas which hinduism carries within its fold they are very rich in this thought process now uh, this is a double edged sword because then you you also give rise to pseudo science somewhere because uh, there are like very funny explanations about why mandirs or uh, temples have these domes and there are these ma- magnetic energy things and all which i consider false and pseudo science but then uh, the other side of it is there are also certain things which are agreeable and which are uh, genuinely real and which you can personally feel and experience so that uh, connection with philosophy and that connection with the basic curiosity which i had about the world and i think that curiosity is not something which was exclusive to me i think everyone has their curiosity it is just a question of challenging what is going on in your life and what is going on around you you need the guts to challenge the way of life you need the guts to ask why as a dharm guru i i have a real problem that people don't ask me why if i say something they just follow it i want them to ask why because i have the answers but then if you never ask i am not in a position to say any everything all the time because i need to take the topic forward so that curiosity coupled with the fact that i knew something exists 
okay that philosophy was not clear in me when i was in school um i did not understand uh, god even when i was in school i would say i did not understand the idea of god but i knew that there is so much literature which is written by not any stranger but my forefathers and if i am genuinely curious about it it is my duty to at least read it and if i read all this if i read all the previous work which uh, all those who are interested or all those who are curious with this particular phenomena or field then uh, then uh, i may definitely be uh, benefited somehow and uh, yes it did and even this idea of being curious and being uh, you know wanting to know what the world is wanting to know what god is it's reflected in the very first uh, line of uh, brahma sutra brahma sutra is a principal text in uh, in the vedas so brahma sutra starts with athato brahma jigyasa athato brahma jigyasa means that now i shall inquire about brahma and brahma is by definition everything so if i'm curious about everything i'm not just curious about the mechanics of the world which uh, i would say the current scientific fields deal with they they only deal with the mechanics the physics the chemistry but if i'm also curious about the emotional thought processes it will go on i'm also curious about why i do things not how but why i do things why do i feel good when i have a cup of coffee in the morning or why do i do what i do like whatever your hobbies are why do you love it so the the why question is very difficult to be answered and if i want to really know everything if i want to know brahma then uh, that curiosity needs to be there and the very first line gives you a qualification that you are not eligible to read the following texts of the vedas if you are not curious the word uses jigyasa so if you are not curious you can you are not supposed to move ahead yeah. is what the text and is implying initially i mean i read it somewhere that the path to theism starts with atheism because atheism questions everything yeah. you, know, you have to be an atheist first to be a theist later you perfectly said i mean this is this was it's a good segue to my actually the next question that to be like completely direct like what is god like what is your i would say not story but what is your viewpoint or what is your concept of god why do we need god and if there is god how does it evolve like completely basically uh, it cannot be a binary question sorry but i know it is a very layered question but i wanted to ask you that how do you feel about god yes god is very simply something which fulfills us okay as a, as an entity uh, human beings have been blessed with an independent consciousness okay we are independent decision makers we are the subject of our uh, needs and desires we are the executors of our action so in a way we are a pretty independent and pretty self functioning entity in this world and this luxury is not afforded to let's say a stone or a tree or even a planet so this is something which is inherently unique to us and because of this uh, because of this afat i would say this is an afat why i'll, I'll let you know uh, because of this uh, certain things which would have just happened by themselves they don't happen with us uh, it's often said uh, when you take nuclear power for example it's a very powerful phenomena in the world uh, that nuclear power or that nuclear energy which is something really great uh, it can be used as a bomb if it's not used properly 
and the same thing when channeled properly it can produce nuclear energy which is like the best source of energy available right now Mm-hmm. So we are all nuclear bombs, I would say, or rather we are all pieces of nuclear energy because with our independent thought process, with our independent ideas, decision making, with our independent wants, like we uh, we get attracted to so many things. Uh, you think gravity only works on matter? I say gravity works on your brain as well, because every other thing you walk by the nature, you start liking flowers. You walk by some. a uh, tv show on netflix you start liking those you walk by some people you start liking people you are also attracting so many things in subjects and people and this and that all the time yeah so this process just keeps on happening and uh, because of that there is a chance that you get lost in this um i would give you an example of candy crush because i got lost in it myself as a kid uh, so this premium games took over me there was a phase and um i was so engrossed in earning those fake coins and just moving ahead in the levels that i didn't realize but i was putting in a good few hours of my day every day into that stupid game now i'm mature to realize that it's just a game and i need not put so much of my time into it but it just drew, uh, drew my senses it just attracted me so much my eyes my ears my no- not my nose but my fingers everything was just involved in it that's the thing i need to have this decision making power of what i really want what i what really satisfies me and what does not and the fact that there are things which i require because i am not self satisfied i need connection with people i need emotional connections i need uh, social connections i need uh, ways to justify what i do and this is a vacuum in my life this vacuum when fulfilled by anything that becomes god to me because that completes me once i have that then i need not bother then i can literally die in peace ki ab shanti se marenge i don't have a problem but i am i'm not ready to die tomorrow because i need something in life i i don't think i have justified my existence yet and what is that one thing which justifies my existence it can be something as material and basic as uh, neil armstrong going on the moon it it is his uh, accomplishment of life but for me it's still a material thing so or it can be something as uh, finding a true partner in life getting the perfect partner a perfect husband or a wife that is an emotional aspect of that thing but it is also equally and probably completely fulfilling so that one thing which is completely fulfilling in my life which through which once i get that i can say okay now i can die in peace i don't want anything else in my life so that idea now what it is we will not go into that or whatever that is that is god for me achieving that is the purpose of my life and once i get that i can say that i can happily die in peace or rather i don't need anything else in this world now i i have everything which i have i am self satisfied once i have that i am satisfied with everything um i am or i have so that's the idea of god so which i have god so so the concept of god i mean i agree to whatever you said the concept of god is basically you saying different for different people i mean for someone it would be something else for someone it would be something else right so whatever that person finds fulfilling and content in him in himself uh that is the you know a form of god for that particular person right so on the other aspect there is a i would not say claims but there is people saying or there is uh, this thing that 
world is created by the god you know mm. uh, everything is created by the god so is this mm. a concept that man created that humans created just so they can fill up that vacuum which you said that okay you know what i don't know what i want to do no, i don't know as a human what my purpose is in life so this is some a concept which someone created uh so that human can put there in their own life to find meaning and purpose so that the humans remain content you know and now it can be used it can be in different forms to different people but uh when you see as a core scientific discovery or i would not say scientific now because so or who created this world who created us those kind of mm. uh, you know two arguments where do you incline towards and why yeah so i'll i'll use this phrase radha ke bina krishna nahi krishna ke bina radha nahi so god did not create us we did not create god we both came into existence together as i said god is something which is fulfilling to us and interestingly now this part is not very well read by people but we are also fulfilling to god okay we are equally fulfilling to him and uh, this is the beauty of this entire system no because uh, you both need each other that's the thing now where this changes like in the practical aspect where this changes is uh, ideally you, everything is created from god out of god and uh, yes that is the definition which we use that is one of the definitions which we use uh, we use uh, many different uh, situations or many different dimensions of the word god now uh, if i may i would like to focus uh, uh, our discussion on the word god itself because that really doesn't convey anything in hinduism uh, god is a very first of all it's a western word with western uh, uh, over hangings i would say uh, it has a lot of western um, culture associated with it western stories associated with it they don't really apply to our idea of god and i'm saying our and i'm including hinduism and buddhism here so eastern religion in general the word simply doesn't give justice so our idea is somewhere more spiritual somewhere more uh, philosophical uh, in our idea of god even i am god because in me resides my soul and that soul is powered by parmatma so the soul is atma and it's powered by parmatma what gives soul its soul like qualities is parmatma so in a way god resides within me also but then i am of the tradition and i'm not just saying tradition i i mean i can justify it if given enough time or i would attempt to justify it but in my tradition uh, even though i acknowledge god within me i am serving an idol of god uh, who is very much separate from me so the the process of seva the process of bhakti which happens happens in front of an idol it does not have you, you don't worship yourself so why why does that happen so somewhere there's a layer of god which is inside me which is powering me then there is also a representation of god outside which i used to actually connect with it then there is obviously brahma which is the definition of brahma is sarvam khalu idam brahma which is everything is brahma so by definition everything which exists is brahma so uh, in gita there is a very famous uh, situation krishna is describing that uh, when you when a transaction is taking place i'm highly paraphrasing here 
uh, I need not go into the details. Uh, so when a transaction is taking place, uh, the giver is Brahma, the receiver is Brahma, what is being given is also Brahma. So, and the situation in which this is all happening is also Brahma. Space, time, dimensions, everything are also part of Brahma. So everything has been created from it. And because of that, because Brahma is in a, a kind of a unity, it is in a much higher place, I would say. Uh, not just materially, but even uh, consciously, that there, there exists a universal consciousness, I believe in that. So that universal consciousness, since it, it, it's a, it is in a much better place to know and understand what's going on here, it also has the capacity to be self-sufficient. So something which is satisfied by itself, Atma is self and Ram comes from the word Ram, which means uh, in Gujarati also it means the same thing, which is to play. So if you can play by yourself or rather in a more mature way, if you're satisfied by your own self, if you don't need anything else in your life, then you've already become Brahma. You don't need anything. You, you have become God. That is when the God within me is actually manifested as something greater than me. At that point, I'm not Vatsal anymore. So, but right now, since I have desire, since I'm craving so many things in life, I have a void, I have a vacuum. So I want to achieve that stage of Atmaram or rather of something which is fulfilling to me. So God is something which is already fulfilled, but since uh, because of its infinite nature, even though it is fulfilled, it can break up parts of itself, which are because we are individually conscious, we don't know the bigger picture and now we remain unfulfilled. Now, if we weren't individually conscious, we wouldn't have bothered with the whole idea. So now we need to be really responsible with it. And if we really feel like getting the ultimate uh, satisfaction in our life, then we need to do an attempt to approach that state of Atma Ram. We need to do an attempt to approach the Indic idea of God. So it is not a matter of who created whom, both are the same. Sarvam Khalvidam Brahma again uh, reiterates that fact, both are the same, but uh, both are in a very different state. One is in a state where it desires, where it craves for satisfaction, it craves for acknowledgement, it craves for something which justifies its existence, which is our state. And then there is a state of that same thing, which is absolutely satisfied with itself. It, need, it doesn't really need us. But because of our incomplete state, there exists something out there within that which needs us. So that we can complete ourselves and merge into that. Now, uh, the idea is uh, much more easily digestible if you equate uh, Brahman with infinity, because then you can take up parts and then put the parts back and nothing changes. So even the consciousness comes out, it, like when it's individual, uh, it's us. When it goes back, it merges with the universal consciousness. Nobody knows the beginning and the end. So it just, it's, a, it's basically yeah, infinity. Time because time itself was created much later on, no? Yes. Even, even if you follow the Big Bang theory of the universal creation, uh, I think we are all on the same page. Uh, even uh, Hindu scholars and current scientists are all on the same page that time was created much later in the whole bigger picture. It's so, a dimension, yeah. Humans created later on, kind of an illusion. But if you, I mean, this is an interesting point where we have reached, like, so correct me if i'm wrong like i see two directions here uh one 
when you when you're speaking like uh, kind of an internal content internal satisfaction right and you on the other hand which i'm looking at what is the real true reason about it so for example to give an example i was just reading about couple of texts by few of the scientists who have worked on understanding who what created this world one of them is dr feynman uh, amazing teacher and he says it's uh, it's dr feynman dr richard feynman who actually okay. worked on atoms and you know light understanding matter i mean he's a, a nobel laureate so he made an interesting point i mean it's it's about this analogy which i find really really funny he said that mm-hmm. humans has humans i feel he said that i feel that humans are just lazy so that they don't want to go down to the bottom of what is the core reason of it so we just term something as a story and when we don't know the core reason to something complex mm-hmm. stories get made up and on the surface level there is some reason that may be right may, may be wrong doesn't matter but that can give content to human beings you know so for example throughout the years like 100 200 years humans didn't know many things like how sun earth revolved around each other what is solar galaxy and stuff like that we evolved so the questions or the answers which felt dumb that earlier days are now the, uh, have now the core scientific reasons after it so is this something i mean on one aspect as you said like spiritual on you finding human purpose finding content completely makes sense but when it comes to like pure curiosity pure discovering something that what actually created the world you know in a, in a pure scientific way are we just like lazy enough since we don't know the real answers as of now we are yeah. just telling something or making up a story that might give us a content for a temporary purpose so that we can live in peace but the reality is something else so this is kind of an interesting analogy i read and i was i'm curious to know what you think about it indeed interesting and uh, uh, yeah i think he's right but uh, here's the thing no it was an observation about how you, the human society works and yes he's 100% right and uh, i don't see anything wrong in the way the human society works like that because um, i'll give you a more relevant example is uh, not everyone who uses a smartphone needs to know how a smartphone works most people they not even uh, forget needing to know they don't even want to know they just want to enjoy the benefits of the smartphone but then there are some curious minds who want to know how the smartphone works and then they obviously they should if you are curious then you should figure out how it works so the idea is uh, you don't need to know everything right you need to know the relevant part you know you need to know only what matters to you specifically now as a you know besides uh, talking on uh, religion on the sampradaya uh you know my background is also kind of uh, relating to brand management and brand identity so i do some consultation work on that as well so uh, now this is a field which is like hardcore uh, advertising and marketing related so beyond a certain point i need not know how certain things work i just need to know the the effects and the results like you work in data analysis so now there are softwares which like really sophisticated softwares we you just need to input the data and the output comes right uh, like immediately you know you need not know what formula is going on or what's the process which is going behind it every time so you can just use a simple input and output and uh, this is 
pretty much how the entire world works because people don't have time to know and learn everything in the world so as long as they are happy a vast majority of them are simply first of all not curious and secondly they they the more relevant question to them is how does it affect me or how does it satisfy me how does it make me happy or how does it fulfill me anything but uh, knowing about the object is not on their list of priorities so forcefully feeding information to someone who does not need it who does not want it uh, he will vomit it all out so this this actually comes into place in religion as well but if we are confident as a scientist or as a businessman even or as as some professional if you are confident that what you are doing is for the betterment of the society then you should just move ahead with what service you are giving to humanity then uh, of course if someone is curious you cannot say no now that is again very wrong uh, that is a question mark on your very profession but uh, you need not forcefully feed someone something which he doesn't want to know so i think what he said uh, regarding the uh, in like intentional ignorance of people is very right yeah people don't want to know and people just want stories and uh, not even stories i would be very direct and say people just want to know isme mera kya fayda but don't that's what that is too transactional that is too selfish i mean on human end like we are as you said like we are beings who have soul we are a curious beings we need to ask the questions why now uh, i mean no, see yeah, i just uh, yeah. block you for Uh, that curiosity also works in different levels no now there is scientific curiosity there is curiosity of uh, life there is social curiosity like which i would say gossip then there is spiritual curiosity even within science maybe you are just interested in the physics of the things maybe you are just interested in the chemistry of the things maybe you are just interested in quantum mechanics of the thing like the, the curiosity itself is very like specific and this is where as i said your curiosity is like a nuclear power it can explode in a bomb and you can waste your entire life or you can channel it properly and get something productive done in your life so this curiosity can lead you to a black hole uh, alice in wonderland so <laughs> you can just go But, to your own wonderland uh, and you're not afraid that if a person is not asking you the why questions behind it like you mentioned in the first question like initial conversation that someone asks you let's say a person or a kid or, or anyone asks you that who is god like or your student and uh, and you give him the information which is you know right at that moment for him or her um maybe and there are people who are in their mid 50s 60s whose entire life is based on a certain belief and they i mean i'm not general generalizing this but they don't know the complete why reason behind it right so now that information that surface level information without knowing the reason is being passed on to the next generation now over the period of those years that information because it is surface level and there is no knowing of the why the core reason behind it can be manipulated in a way adjusting to person needs and how the person i mean for example a very basic example is that you know i went to this uh, place here i wished for it and i got something out of it now this is a very 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 diluted example of it now for me as a person example 55 60 year old this thing worked this thing worked right so i am attributing all my hard work to something which i think 
makes sense because someone told me because that is just a surface level information by while the core reason is actually you have to work hard for it and then you get that yeah. might be the core philosophy of it but we just know the surface of it right so don't you think mm-hmm. that will pollute not pollute to be safe but scared that without telling the core philosophy if we pass on the surface level information to the next generation it will just create complicated stories and world will be more complex rather than simpler as we want to find the core reason of it yeah so yeah there is always a risk of people misunderstanding and diluting the whole thing into i would say gibberish and nonsense but uh, you know you cannot really there's no way around it even uh, even uh, because as i said no the 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 level of curiosity really depends on the, the student right and if i forcefully feed someone something which he doesn't want to know he will just vomit it out and this i say from experience so there will be a part of society which wants to remain ignorant which wants to believe in hi went to this temple and yahan pe mera kaam ho gaya so yeah let's do this so and it's not just in religion okay honestly that is also in science yeah. there are also blind followers of science yeah who are very unscientific in their following in science and not just science it it happens everywhere here uh, we get uh, distracted about what the reality is where uh, people get distracted and they get uh, emotional and they get they start getting they start letting all the wrong feelings interfere into their day to day lives and then they mess the whole thing up but you the point being everyone has to behave differently in different environments and once you get that messed up it really hampers you and uh, once uh, you get that messed up then there is it's very difficult to go back so the same happens in terms of uh, religion or all, all spheres like you don't want to go into the actual mode of uh, intelligence the actual mode of uh, discipline or the actual mode of conduct which is required in that particular field mm-hmm. so that happens all the time i mean but won't that be like lying when it comes to curiosity i mean it's fine when it is a corporate transaction it is fine when it is a two way transaction uh, mm-hmm. i mean won't it be like uh, can be preaching be stopped from one direction like if someone if someone mm-hmm. wants to hear something and that person mm-hmm. is not that curious enough and if, if if it is felt that the surface level information can do more harm than good you know mm-hmm. uh, can because you know i mean i'm not completely sure but you have read the schooling system back in the days right like students mm-hmm. used to completely go into different school and learn about everything so that is kind of for like 12 10, 13 years and you come out as a different person you know the whole story behind it uh, like a one way transaction like a you know a hearing or a pravachan to be say uh, won't that be just surface level information like if someone attends one hour two hour session that gonna take the information just what he or she hears in one or two hours but that is not the whole story and that can do more harm so should that be you know stopped because it's not from the point of like it is some, something is wrongly preached preached sorry but uh, it's something like on the viewer side on the listener side it can be wrongly taken and can be misinterpreted in any many different levels so i'll tell you a, a, a small little incident which i remember from one of my teachers teachers pravachan okay it goes back into 40s i think 
ಹನುಮಾನ್ವದಾ Mm-hmm. and then there are upanishads and ved which only deal with philosophy they are like uh, all the stories and everything is squeezed out and hardcore philosophy and hardcore thought process and ideas are uh, concentrated and kept in those books they don't have stories or examples or anything it's very difficult to understand them so uh, now uh, my grandfather my great grandfather my great grandfather was teaching a class of other shastris basically other students who would eventually become teachers themselves and uh, he said this very uh, rather one of his students said this very funny thing that for years and years we tried to explain philosophy we tried to explain upanishads and uh, it really didn't work out for us because people were not interested in what we are listening in what we are telling and uh, in general just everything was too boring for the people to understand and then the moment we picked up bhagavat uh, bhagavat ji is the stories of krishna uh, and these stories also explain to you the same thing but through stories so the moment we picked up bhagavat uh, it started satisfying our households basically they started getting a very engaging audience and they start they had a very successful career as a preacher now here's the thing the actual joke is uh, bhagavat ji is uh, uh, repeatedly said as the most uh, satisfying book of all times within our sampradaya bhagavat ji has this position of being the most satisfactory book so uh, that nature of satisfaction also applies to its preachers the, the teachers were teaching bhagavad ji even they get satisfied because they get good dakshina <laughs> because the viewer is happy yeah so so this is really a problem of the society as i said uh, the the students who were potential teachers who would grow up and become shastris all over and they would teach they would do bhagavad kathas and sattas and all of these pravachans Uh, they they themselves say that we try teaching them upanishads we try teaching them philosophies but they they are simply not willing to listen but here's the thing we should not bother about this why because let's say if you are curious as an individual you will find your way and and that's the beauty of the world no the life is full of obstacles and directions and misdirections and this and that you need to go through a journey if i would have served you or if Uh, any guru can serve you what you truly desire directly like when you graduated out of your school and you had a big nice book and you learned and understood everything and you did not really have a journey you will never appreciate the knowledge bhagavad ji or rather the the blandness of the book or rather the journey or the negative experiences which we have uh, in our pursuit of the ultimate truth the ultimate fulfillment they will make you appreciate what you get even more hmm. okay because it's if you don't con- it's kind of a content like we we humans want a story we want the truth prevails the dark you know we want a binary this thing like there is evil there is uh you know 
good guys and bad guys basically bringing down to a diluted level and and the story i'm, I'm not the stories but uh, as you said the simplest form or the most contentful form the bhagavad ji actually have those kind of stories so if you say mahabharat if you say ramayana that is a story of bad guys good guys but that is you're saying like very very surface level of what actually the core philosophies are right yeah but they, they are also very much the philosophy that is why they great books so if it were just a story now there is a section of scholars even within hinduism who believe they are just stories they are merely stories and nothing else now i personally don't believe in it because if they were simply stories if the author would have intended to write a fiction he would have written a fiction he wouldn't have uh, uh, tried to assimilate the knowledge of vedas and upanishads in them because that takes a lot of time and effort you know the concepts themselves are pretty difficult to digest and to put them in like something which is even more palatable and to simplify things you know in order to, like learning something is one thing and teaching it is another game altogether this is why professors or the skills of good teachers are always appreciated yes because they they can simplify it yeah so these books are simplifying something which is otherwise so complex it's pretty much incomprehensible for us and that is why these books hold value this is why to my eyes Uh, and upanishad is not as important as a bhagavad ji because although upanishad might have all the knowledge in the world if i as a user am not able to grasp the knowledge what use uh, what uses the book to me whereas through the bhagavad ji through the stories or through the metaphors or through whatever whatever process bhagavad ji takes me through at least at the end of the process i i understood a thing or two so i am in a much better place that book is satisfying that is why it's the most satisfactory book i'm saying So yeah, this this brings me to the last like summary question for this particular question uh-huh. itself. Uh, so I mean, who should we like? Who should we believe then? Like, what is the truth? I mean, I agree there is uh, the core part of it. There is a uh, you know kind of a metaphorical part of it, right? But that 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 is an kind of an open ended uh, this thing, right? It can go either ways, as you said. It's double ended sword. So uh, as you said, like a good way. I mean, Upanishads also should have a good conveyor, a good teacher. You know, basically to direct you of what actual meaning of this particular, you know, this thing is. When it comes to academics, we have like a subject scholar. We have some. I'm not saying what it represents, but a proof of skill set, a certification that okay, this person knows this. Okay, this person is qualified, like a chartered accountant. This person knows this particular thing. So if he says this, is actually viable. Uh, should we have such kind of a you know system in place when it comes to religion preachings, just yeah, so it doesn't get unfiltered? Does yeah, adulterated basically it doesn't get adulterated basically. So yeah, such system already exists, and that is what a sampradaya is. As I said, Hinduism by itself is nothing. Hinduism is just a bunch of sampradayas, and each sampraday is its own school. of thought it it is its own tradition right from practical means up to philosophical uh, uh, ideas so sampradaya accumulates all of it and gives you a simple way to live that is why uh, in pravachans we also need to speak something which a layman can understand because a vast majority of the sampradaya as i said not interested humko kya karna hai bata do bas yeah they're not It's interested like- so that yeah that section also needs to be satisfied at the same time a sampradaya doesn't deal with only those people otherwise it is just uh, like uh, a crowd of barking dogs 
I, I say something, you like it. Uh, uh, am I not doing just a different kind of stand-up comedy or just entertaining people? I am not entertaining people or no Acharya is as for that matter. If you are part of a Sampradha and if you're teaching something spiritual, you're not just, enter- I, I don't want to say things which you like. <laughs> there might be difficult things. There might be uh, things which you you feel like are not so good. You might not like to listen to me, but as a Sampradha, I also have to include that in my speech. And this I'm talking about the higher philosophies and the higher uh, ideas of the world and the more technical details in in Brahman and the more technical inquiry into the nature of Brahman. Yeah. So these things are also included in a Sampradai's idea, Sampradai's vision of how a life should go on or how a person should live a life. And Sampradai's are, as I said, they are the practical manifestations of a philosophy. So without philosophy, a Sampradai cannot thrive. And throughout history, we have seen Sampradayas which did not have strong philosophies, they have died. Uh, which brings me to the question of even uh, atheism and nihilism. Since we had agreed, we will talk about that as well. Yeah. So uh, there is this guy called Charvak. Uh, Charvak was a philosopher and a rishi even. He, he has been given a status of rishi. And his idea of uh, life or his philosophy of life was uh, very much like YOLO. Which is a gritam pritva, ritam, ritam kritva, gritam pribet, which is take a loan and drink ghee. So, ghee is something which is considered expensive and luxury. So, if you cannot afford luxury, take a loan okay. and enjoy all the luxury you want to. And once you die, you don't need to pay it back. So, do whatever you want to in the life and just die because. Uh, that is all. That was a sampradaya at some point of time. Okay, that was a yeah. systematic way of life. And today, YOLO also is. But yeah. I'm pretty sure the moment you graduate out of college and the moment you start working, that YOLO thing just goes out of your mind because YOLO is not a practical way to live. Everyone goes through a YOLO phase. I went through a YOLO phase. I'm sure you went through a YOLO phase. Yeah. But they only once karke kahi pe bhi kuch jaoge, kuch bhi karloge. It doesn't work out. It is a very much Charvak-like philosophy. So uh, we have had sampradayas which were in the extreme other end. Like I would say leftist se bhi jada leftist the wo. Yeah. Like jada extreme leftism tha. Or not even left, I wouldn't say left. Uh, that would be very black and white binary approach from my side. But uh, they were like anarchists. I would say anarchists. Yeah. They so, did not have a core strong basis to it. They had a very strong base, but the base was wrong, I would say. <laughs> it wasn't very productive. So this is the thing. No? He's a rishi. He has written uh, works which are on the on par with Upanishads. Oh, but okay. his whole idea, but his whole idea of life is somewhere disturbed. Completely. Because the core is yeah. yeah. Because maybe even like when you think of the bigger picture, maybe he's right. But within within your life, within that one life, think of the harm you will do to others. Kisi ka loan leke, kisi ka paisa return nahi ke. As a society, you will just end up in anarchy. Yeah. It's, it's very individualism kind of. A, it's, it's individualism. You become very selfish. Yes. So it doesn't work out in a social sense. It may work out in a philosophical sense. I don't know. He's a rishi in the end. Yeah. I would like to point that out again. He's a rishi. So it might work out in a spiritual sense or I don't know how or where, 
but it is absolutely a terrible philosophy to live by in a social sense in a sense of a community so that philosophy died off and along with that the sampradaya also died off there are so many sampradayas which we have in record there are hundreds of sampradayas which we have in record but today in india i think only around 10 or 15 sampradayas are flourishing rest of them have gone extinct with time okay. because their philosophies might not have been perfect or whatever the reason might be hmm. i mean so, coming to the to what you said like nihilism existentialism and absurdism i was going to talk about it but since you mentioned right uh, one of my you know i would not say fear but insecurity is that everything is a simulation right you know i mean this is also touches to the first question which we talked about that this is just something we created as humans so that we satisfy our uh, satisfy ourselves and we can live peacefully throughout this entire life but uh, what what's your what's your viewpoint on it like for, for for those who don't know like existentialism is something humans create meaning in life so that they can mm. live they, they you we create our own meaning to live the life absurdism i mean correct me if i'm wrong watson that uh, absurdism is something that uh, life doesn't have a meaning but uh, we still live it you know we still live it and nihilism is like life doesn't have any meaning so i mean doesn't matter it's completely like yolo to extent but more uh, but even karl marx i mean as you mentioned this rishi this actually reminds mm. me of karl marx with the kind same kind of a philosophy uh, but what what are your views like uh, is this just something uh, we created because the way i see science i mean the way i see mm-hmm. like why i'm driven towards the science is and it it solves or it answers the the core curiosity like mm-hmm. i has a let's say analyst or you as a brand manager we are not doing we are not solving or solving the core curiosity while if you say a scientist or person working 20 years ahead of his time or you know going finding the reasons to the space or what is the actual you know uh, universe uh, that person is more you know i would say on a higher or maturity level or evolved level than rest of us but we also it is also needed to we also do or do our work for the society to survive or to sustain but uh, it just scares me that okay this is just something we are meant to do but actual work is done by them so what is your view point on that particular topic Okay, so I'll take these uh, questions separately. I'll take them one by one. <laughs> Sorry, I just bombarded you, but yeah. Right, it's fine. So individualism and existentialism, right? So individualism, existentialism, and nihilism—all of these are siblings to me. There is a slight change in the core perspective, but uh, in the end, it is about inquiry. All of these are about inquiry about. uh who am i what am i going to do with my life and how do i find meaning in life all of them touch somewhere or the other all of them are uh, somehow trying to define a meaning in life some have an inherently positive approach and some have an inherently negative approach like nihilism but uh, the core idea is to find meaning in life and uh, uh, i would say they are aligned with our understanding of brahma because uh, but they are aligned with our understanding of brahma but uh, these uh, absolute ideas in their european genesis like the the thinkers and philosophers who actually created these ideas uh, i would say they have simply copied the gita and just decided to not use the word brahma okay <laughs> so if you don't acknowledge uh, the fact that it is all brahma if you don't acknowledge that it is all 
spiritual in a way then you are left with individualism and existentialism or nihilism or all our rishis have covered all the isms pretty much yeah. we have a few isms which europeans have not covered uh, so all these isms when you add brahma or when you add a layer ki, okay this is the idea of god for me then it becomes one of the valid philosophical thoughts of one of the valid sampradayas in hinduism yeah even so, life has no meaning is kind of a different philosophy in itself yeah you go the charvak you know it's charvak not correct huh it's not yeah, charvak doesn't mean anything yeah uh, to that extent that it was so uh, so ideal uh, that uh, when i f- first found out about charvak I, i really wanted to share this with everyone <laughs> because i found out ke are aisa bhi rishi tha kya who thought yolo is the way to go and then uh, such an ideal thing came up in my life uh, even today in front of borivali station on the east side there is this wine shop which is so ideally named charvak wines as like barabar oh alcoholism and doing nothing with your life and you wasting your life ha barabar tujhe tera rishi mil gaya tactic so somewhere the sampradaya was probably not extinct maybe it, it's there in fringes or something but uh, do you think yeah. like uh, so, sorry do you think like buddhism and jainism also touches to touches not completely but you know that is those kind of philosophy like you become a sadhak yeah. right so i mean doing that is basically doing nothing and completely uh, what do you think about that like because you mentioned yeah. buddhism and jainism again i i uh, i would clarify another thing so there is no such thing as an atheist or a believer in god in hinduism hindu is in hinduism the words which we use are astic and nastic and uh, astic and nastic are derived from the word asti asti means exists now what exists that's the question so he, hindu scholars are very clear that when we are talking about astik or nastik we are talking about the knowledge of the veda we are not even talking about bhagwan brahma because veda itself is quite unsure of what brahman is okay so we just believe in the authority of veda even our sampradaya even my sampradaya believes in the authority of veda that is why i'm astik i'm not astic because i believe in god i might probably believe in a very nihilistic approach towards god i might have an individualistic approach i would say i am god i would say work is god i would say knowledge is god scientific temperament is god anything can be god these all ideas have been uh, uh, touched upon in the vedas so i can still be an astic as far as hindu philosophy is concerned but to be nastic is to not believe in the authority of ved and buddhism and jainism why they considered separate from hinduism is because they don't believe in the authority of way while sharing the same ideas as i said individualism and existentialism are philosophies which were uh, separately discovered in the west uh, whereas the same philosophies have been thought about in the east through our ved which was inaccessible to those so they happened separately it's like nylon which was invented in london and new york Uh, at the same time so they decided ke new york ka ny aur london ka lon laga ke oh, nylon okay. oh that's yeah. that's something new trivia <laughs> yeah, so these philosophies got uh, i would say they they were born in two different regions in in history and they never got the opportunity to connect and converse with each other gotcha so so individualism and existentialism and nihilism and all the all the different kind of isms 
are covered. The only difference which we believe is we connect these philosophies with our idea of God. Whereas in the West, religion and philosophy has always been separate. The church has fought philosophers. The church has decided to prosecute philosophers. The church has decided to uh, imprison people who have asked questions against the Bible. Whereas we have given birth to astronomers and scientists who were rishis. We know that. I, I need not name them. Yes. So the, the, the core idea of philosophy and religion being different, which was prevalent in Europe, is not something which was prevalent in India. And uh, this is why those who decided to inquire, do anything, uh, be curious of any kind, as I said, Athato Brahma Jigyasa. Jigyasa is your first requirement. So only then can you be religious, otherwise you cannot be religious. And within that, if you're not even uh, considering the authority of the Veda, but still want to be very curious, then you end up a Buddhist or a Jain. So they're, they're again dealing with the same philosophies, yes. but they're not ready to acknowledge Veda as an authority. That's the only difference. Just like Europe is not willing to acknowledge Brahma as a God or the philosophy can actually give meaning to your life not just be an exercise of thought. It's not just a mental exercise, but something which can genuinely satisfy you. So I, I don't know why the idea did not click there, but uh, they always kept it separate. Why so Jain's Like why the authority, I mean, when you say the authority is not being associated when it comes to those religion or when it comes to Western philosophy, why it is hmm. not being associated to it? Like, and, and why it needs to be in the first place? That is also like two questions. See, uh, it's not associated simply because history and time, I would say, that the times in which these philosophies were born were not globalized times. So it is very much possible that two independent people, as I said, nylon. So yeah. nylon is like 100 years, hardly 100 years old. And these philosophies are thousands of years old. So it's obvious that they can grow into separate regions to like separately. But uh, is there a need to connect them? Yes, there is. Because uh, a lot of the thought process which uh, happened during the European Renaissance, so which is around three, four hundred years back, not too old. So like that, that's when the Renaissance ended. Uh, we had already discussed those ideas since thousands of years. So if you read, if you do a systematic study of the Bhagavad Gita, which is an encyclopedia of the entire Upanishad. So Bhagavad Gita will touch upon all the kinds of isms, all the different theories, all the different philosophies in life. Bhagavad Gita will has something to say about everything. So you will discover that all of these things which we uh, learn from the Western scholars, they have been touched upon by our Upanishads and not even touched upon, they have been studied and they have been questioned and there have been answers to that questions and those answers have been challenged and they have been answered. And there is this entire tradition of scholars, which we also see in scientific uh, academic literature, where there comes this certain theory prevails and then there are certain scientists who come and challenge, okay, okay this is wrong. First, we had the... Uh, when it comes to chemistry, we had this old stars and planets well, model. Now we don't have that. We have an electron cloud model. Yes. Where there's a probability of electrons. 
So that solar system model doesn't exist. So how this gradual development happens within science, this development has happened in philosophy and religion also. So there have been always people who have been challenging and there have been always people who have been refining the idea and refining what Brahman is trying to uh, trying to get uh, you, uh, get uh, much more palatable explanations of something which is otherwise not palatable to a human mind. Not. So that that's an ongoing and continuous process. And I think if the West tries to connect with this, they can take advantage of it a lot. And the West has tried to connect with it. There has been effort in this. And as a result, you know that uh, great minds of the West, like Einstein, were exposed to Upanishads. Uh, and I'm not recalling all the names, but a lot of great Western scientists have actually been exposed to the ideas of Upanishads. And they have been very appreciative of it. Uh, the, the creator of Matrix, the movie Matrix. Have you seen that movie? I've seen the movie. I've, I don't know the name of the director, but yeah. Yeah, he, I, his name doesn't catch me right now. But he was so uh, influenced with the idea of uh, Upanishads that the entire movie, the, the idea of alternate realities and all of it is actually based on Upanishads. And the biggest evidence of his influence, of the extent of influence which uh, the Upanishads had on his mind is uh, just go and watch the end credits of Matrix. If you remember the end credits of Matrix, it is all Upanishads being sung, being chanted in the back. Uh, it's not like West and East have been completely distanced. After the world globalized, I would say after the British came into India, there has been a lot of effort to um, uh, connect the two philosophies together and also malign the two philosophies because the first few translations which happened from Indian to English were with a biased colonial mindset that everything Indian is Bekar and everything Western and English is good. That mindset was there. And the first books con which were converted into English were converted by Christian missionaries. So you cannot really say they were neutral. So this has happened also, but at the same time, yes, the actual authenticity, the core uh, uh, values which our which our Upanishads teach, they have gone to the West, and there are people who still appreciate them today. So the connection is there, but yes, there is scope for more. I would say there is definitely scope for more. Got it. I mean, I remember you. I mean, I asked you. I guess a couple of years back, uh, regarding I guess it was two thousand sixteen. I guess uh, that you know why do we need caste? You know, caste, basically caste system and what was the origination of caste system so uh, I mean it was a re I remember you saying that it was a requirement in those days that it was a need of the hour uh, how what do you think like is it evolved now or what changes needs to be made is it satisfying the purpose it was created then um, because uh, I mean we, we see a lot of you know uh conflicts on the basis of caste right now so is it like uh misunderstood what are your views on that particular topic so caste system first of all has nothing to do with religion caste system is a social system it it is not a it it uh, is not a divine system it is not a spiritual system at all it is a system of social classification and segregation it exists in the society and uh, I have actually matured my view from that point onwards. So the caste system exists even today. And not in a way in which we know it, 
because even today even in a democracy even in a capitalist economy there is a worker class whose job is only to serve their bosses there is it's a, a different class... form it's a different form but uh, i get what you're saying their names they just change the way of the system is still there <laughs> yeah yeah you get my idea perfectly i know where you're so, going with it but since we are also a product, i mean i am also a product of capitalism i would like you know go ahead i'm just kidding so, so the, the idea is to just uh, acknowledge it yeah yeah it exists even in capitalism like as long as uh, you and i are working for a boss and our job is to satisfy what our boss says to like serve our boss which was the job of the shudras so we are all proud shudras <laughs> as long as we, our, our duty is to obey our masters now the masters have become managers and bosses and uh, the shudras have become employees and professionals and you, you can sugarcoat it all you want to but uh, the class system has gone nowhere uh, equality even even uh, like human rights definitely have improved but otherwise even human rights are uh, whatever improvement has happened is because of convenience and uh, uh, just like for the time and the awareness but uh, it need not uh, you cannot say that the class system has gone away because even today a billionaire travels in a private jet and an employee will travel in uh, in a regular economy class so all of this is still there it's just the 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 template has changed the 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 uh, the colors the names the 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 visuals of it have changed but the system is inherently still there it was and uh, it was also skill set based right the early caste system was also skill set based like it is now in capitalism like but the uh, the earlier idea was so uh, of course it had a bias towards what your parents did and i'll i'll tell you why because uh, the world was not so uh, transport friendly i would say or rather uh, in 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 an average person's entire life you would hardly travel more than 50 kilometers because first of all not everyone had access to horses horses were the only way to go around and not everyone had access to horses so an average person would probably not go beyond like four villages in his lifetime so everything was highly localized yeah. and you did not have specialized schools or you did not have uh, access of opportunities in education in stream, in streams you like so as a child you grew up as a farmer if your father was a farmer you grew up as a doctor you grew up healing people if your father was a doctor you grew up accounting for the king if your father was in the court so it was very ideal to just do what your parents do because there was not a lot of flexibility in your lifestyle you yeah. did not have opportunities to change your stream and uh, and the advantage is you get really good at what you're doing because the entire family is like you know concentrating on that particular field so and even today we see that like if your parents are doctors and you go to a medical school and there's some other student whose parents are not doctors there is a chance that the 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 kid who comes from a medical background will probably know a lot of syllabus from his parents or from the way he's grown up i am not I, i won't say that he will be a better doctor but he will definitely have an advantage yes because some of the things which he which the other students are learning for the first time 
probably the kid has already experienced or even practiced those grown in that environment yeah he has grown in that environment he's seen his father work yeah. so it was a way of life back then today it's still it still helps but back then that was your only support system because if you're not doing what your parents do then you're really nowhere so it was ideal for the next generation also and uh, yeah so that is why it got rigid and uh, yeah if you want to change your profession then you definitely should be able to change your profession as long as you can get good at it and we have examples of that as well karna is a very famous example from mahabharat where uh, he was not born in the royal caste and then he showed that he can do all the fulfill all the responsibilities and then he was given his due position and there are many examples of this uh, where change in castes have happened depending on the merit so i don't think it was that rigid but uh, yeah the system existed and it was frankly not that controversial in the in those times yes. today also the system exists to an extent but sticking to the like the laws and bylaws and the minute details of the system it doesn't work out today so you need to adopt to modern times you just need to acknowledge the system exists you don't even need yeah. to adopt it exists but you just need to... like many just don't know of it like we are already part of it yeah and the thing is nobody will accept it because in the new system majority of us are shudras <laughs> we are not kings. <laughs> we are not kings we are not owners of business we are we are not uh fighters we we are just working the like in capitalism the bulk of the people are employees so employees roughly correspond to shudra because employees purpose is just to fulfill what their managers say you can be a very educated employee but in the end you are an employee so it hurts to the ego somewhere so people will not accept my new definition <laughs> got it yeah i mean talking about i mean you know the old systems or you know history coming back to like current times what do you think about uh, religion and politics together i'm specifically talking about india uh mm-hmm. not saying like uh, uh, should be there a merge or collaboration or amalgamation of the two i don't have any views on that but uh, do you think that it should be kept separated i mean your individual philosophies i would not say religion now because since we have spoken about it it's more of a philosophy uh, your individual mm-hmm. philosophy your individual views should be kept separated on how you govern a country because earlier times you know we say ram rajya i mean it was a common philosophy back then if i am not wrong correct me if i am wrong that mm-hmm. the entire country was based on one kind of a philosophy that's why we say ram rajya like it was a one core philosophy yeah. now country was actually never based on a single philosophy got okay sorry so i mean yeah hinduism is a bunch of sampradayas now i'll tell you something yeah, yeah. if the if the muslims hadn't invaded india the sampradayas would have been fighting with each other okay i think to hona hi hai yeah okay but since some foreign culture decided to attack india all the indian culture came together ke ha ha sab hindu sab got it so existing hinduism already is a political alliance acha okay so inside hinduism also it will happen even if we sort out the bigger ki hona hi hai so people will exploit religion for their personal gains it will happen there's no way around it and uh, uh yeah you can try to keep them separate but it is a it's a slippery slope 
and uh, it's a very difficult job because uh, no matter how much you try religion will always be relevant to the people only if it prescribes practical lifestyle changes if i only talk about brahma and if i don't talk about how brahma influences you if i talk about ahinsa ahinsa and never say don't eat uh, animals yeah then um, i won't be very relevant but at the same time the moment i say don't eat animals am am i not entering into civilian or government regulated territories who am i to say kya khana kya nahi khana so that that crossover happens and it's going to happen in fact it happens more and more because the religions which or rather the philosophies which are relevant are those which are practical those who have their philosophy and practical and sorted if you are only philosophical then you might not sustain if you are only practical then you then you might not sustain an identity or a sampradaya needs to have its both ends covered and by definition one end will interfere with the government the laukik end if i say ke uh, even uh, this is yesterday's news or day before yesterday's news uh, where uh, when narendra modi uh, inaugurated did the shilanyas of uh, ram temple uh the one of the pujaris uh, who did his uh, ceremony he asked him for a dakshina that cow uh, cow eating be banned in all of india instead of just states as a central government he has the power to do that so um i mean as a hindu i would like to ha- i would like that to happen but at the same time uh there is there will be a very stark friction with the society because then there are a lot of people who are not uh agreeing to this and at that point the ideal way would be to engage in a philosophical debate to engage in civilized conversations and try to convince and try to win over people uh fighting is definitely not the right thing this much i would come on record and say but uh, yeah and a, a civilized debate needs to happen and uh, politics and religion can not be separate as i said they just have their jobs which are intermingled very tightly but politics can definitely encourage such philosophical conversations and debates which was something when india india had a golden period we call that sone ki chidiya period uh, you know one beautiful thing about golden period was even within mughals the reign of akbar is much more cherished than the reign of babar or the reign of aurangzeb we know akbar as a very uh, sorted king who who knew how to manage hindustan yes babar we know the history aurangzeb we know the history so here how the political machinery interacted with the religion is something worth noting so here uh, the kings used to sponsor uh, philosophical debates the kings used to invite acharyas from different sampradayas and during the times of mughals even muslim scholars were invited and they would have a discussion they would have a debate uh, there is a very famous story of uh, our pushtimargiya sampradaya which is a uh, uh, akbar once put forth this question in front of his courtiers ki saheb kaise mile so in his crude hindi urdu uh, whatever dialect was the dialect of the court he used the word saheb kaise mile or how do we achieve the almighty or how do we get god and uh, there was a huge philosophical debate raging on it and uh, 
Gosainji, which is one of the Acharyas in Pushtimak, I don't know if you're aware of him or not, but uh, Gosainji is one of the one of the senior most Acharyas in Pushtimak who was uh, who lived in the same time as Akbar. So he was also part of the debate. And uh, his was the simplest and the most convincing answer, which was Jaise Hamar Aap Mile. So Jaise Hamar Aap Mile is what he's, he's saying so many things in this one line. And he's saying, if I want to meet you, I cannot go ahead and walk in front of you, but you have summoned me. So I have to be there no matter what. So similar is the relation between us and a higher power. That if I want to achieve that state or if I want to meet that power, uh, to a great extent, I'm helpless. But if that power desires that I be with him, then who am I to say no? I, I'll just be pushed into it, like how I was pushed into the debate. Right. So, so, so uh, I'm not talking about what we need to grasp from what Gusaiji is trying to say. But the idea is that such discussions were happening. Now tell me which political leader today is willing to engage in such philosophical debates. Exactly. Yeah. People are just interested in uh, doing makeup and doing tilaks, visiting temples. So uske aage, there is nothing which is going on. Yeah. There is no, there is just one way conversation. There is no healthy discussion going on. No, there is no conversation. There is no conversation. And the only contact which the modern polity has with uh, uh, religion is only vote bank politics. Yeah. So, yeah, if if there is a temple visit which has to be done, it is calculated on the basis of number of voters. So there is no genuine curiosity. I really appreciate about uh, Yogi Adityanath is uh, he he's very honest with his identity, with his religious identity. Just yesterday he stated that as a CM, I will not be partial to anyone, but as a, a Hindu. I would not want to visit the inauguration of the mosque, which is also being constructed next to the Ram temple. The, uh, so the Muslims have also got their own plot and they will be building their own mosque again. So yeah. uh, the question was, will I be invited to that ceremony? Will I go there? So he said, no, as a Hindu, I don't need to go. But as a CM, as a chief minister, if there is some duty which I have to do, then I will do that. That is a very clear line of thought, yeah. right? So I, I won't go into his uh, uh, what he does as a as a political leader, but that the the clarity of mind which he had. He first of all he had the guts to openly recognize and uh, acknowledge who he is religiously. There are many leaders who uh, purposefully keep it ambiguous yeah. because they don't want anyone to know okay, which religion we follow. Yeah, exactly. So today's political association with religion is strictly vote bank politics. So there is no genuine curiosity of religion. There's no genuine connection with religion in any of the major leaders, which I see. But when it comes to a question so, between, uh, sorry to interrupt, when it comes to a question between your country and when it comes to question mm. in your own religion, uh, mm. like for example, if I'm as a CM, as, as you said, like as a CM, I would, but has a, I'm not uh, talking about like Yogi Ji or uh, the CM Uttar Pradesh, but I'm saying like when it comes to a choice between the two things, uh, should the country or the governance of the country be, be given a greater preference over your individual religion or your individual views and beliefs? See, yeah, the country needs to be given a greater preference. It really uh, depends on your position. 
So as a CM or as a ruler of a country, you need to ensure the safety and security and the fulfillment of aspirations of your subjects. So as a ruler, yes, you need to ensure that everyone has a voice. Everyone has the freedom to do things within the limits. But then again, kya limits hai, kya nahi becomes a question. Mm. A king in the end can only be a successful king, especially in a democracy. If he is able to uh, give decisions which are uh, supporting the majority. Because in the end, if people are... Uh, if people are uh, thinking of a certain thing in certain way, if the majority is thinking of a certain thing in certain way, he's forced to do it in that particular way. So in Gujarat, for example, alcohol is banned because the people of Gujarat feel that alcohol is not required in our lives. If if a vast majority feels like that, it's unchallenged. Even if there's a random challenge which comes up here and there, it is squashed by the majority always. The same is also for some other northern states. So, whereas in Karnataka, the ban has been uh, repulsed and came back into force again and went back again and it's been bouncing here and there. It's on the fence. It's, but they have still man- not decided. Can the majority be manipulated? I mean, we, we, I mean, coming to the very, very surface level, this thing, that we are talking mm-hmm. about a country of 1.3 billion population. Like most mm-hmm. of the people have, a, I mean, I mean, we are not a completely well completely developed country i would say we are reaching there but we are not yet so can it be influenced or i mean as you said like there is vote bank there are being the votes can be manipulated right so can mm. it be shifted in a favor of someone uh, you know by providing them something or money or whatever it is uh, so that decision wouldn't be right when it comes to a majority right in a democracy so mm-hmm. should there should be a, so I was just thinking about this, that should there be a qualification for the leaders itself? Like, uh, we, our country is completely based on uh, education structure. We, you know, have a people who are, have good education. You know, I'm, I'm talking about more of wisdom rather than a pure learning or education, right? Uh, we give higher, you know, this thing, respect to them. So why not that for a political structure? Like we have IAS officers, we have IPS officers. Uh, why not? give them the priority or have some kind of a minimum qualification to even be a political leader. So should there be some kind of a system when it comes to politics in India? I think that would be a very nice system that that would, uh, although that would go against the core principles of democracy, I will like to mention that, but yeah, in my mind, from what I can think of, and I'm not a scholar in this subject at all. I did not think the way, what you thought, like this will be going against the, I did not think in the way which you thought that this will be against the idea of democracy in itself. Like uh, having a qualification, you know, this thing levels at every stage, basically. But uh, yeah, I personally am not in the favor of democracy. You can cut this out (laughs) if you want. I I personally feel democracy is too chaotic and no decision gets executed. So everything is very slow. But uh, in the end, it's the slowest form of governance, but it is the least worst form of governance, I would say. The other options which we have are even bad, uh, even worse. Yeah, no, not extremes. It's like, Gande is the hai. Okay. <laughs> so in, in, in our Shastras, there is this saying, uh, the moment you become a manager of anything, you go to hell. 
because you can never satisfy what all the people all your subordinates want got it so kisna kisi ka to tum bura kar hi doge so the moment you start becoming responsible of other people you you can be pretty sure that after this life you're going to hell because you will mess up <laughs> no matter what so uh, yeah any system of governance i don't think anything is perfect but and democracy is like the least bad system because it's still a pretty bad system yeah and there are other systems which are much more efficient but then they are also high risk high rewards like china for example the, the economic growth which china has done is commendable at the same time what's happening right now is not commendable at all yeah so the last two years the way china is behaving so it's high risk high reward democracy is low risk low reward safely i think yeah yeah and this is out of my expertise so no i just wanted to the- i just wanted to have a kind of a analogy between the systems we had back then or the society structure back then and what we have now mm-hmm. this is just a kind of a not your answer that you have to be right or you know you have to be this thing but just a view. i'm getting my personal opinion <laughs> on this so. yes and i know my personal opinion is very controversial <laughs> i mean yeah, it's, I it's, it's honest whatever. it's honest and honesty is sometimes controversial so <laughs> that's that's true but as you said like you cannot satisfy everyone right but you can be honest mm-hmm. you can at least satisfy yourself to be content within yourself so also i, I would like to mention one thing when we discussed about uh, religion and politics so is there a way where politics can see politics and religion are going to enter into each other's spheres so how can we make that most productive for both of them that becomes a very important question to ask yeah. and as i said in the times of akbar the, these debates used to exist so today even today uh, such a system has to exist where people's representatives in a democracy whoever is the elected representative they should uh, promote such uh, philosophical learnings and teachings so right now what is happening is uh, the sampradayas are doing those things in their own capacity definitely but earlier they used to enjoy the sponsorships of kings so ideally when kingship goes and democracy comes in such debates need to be sponsored by the government so like conferences on different uh, sampradayas so even today within sampradayas we have a system we have sarvadharma sammelans we have conferences where acharyas of different sampradayas come together on the stage and speak up and this happens but this happens in a very low scale and it's an effort by the sampradayas themselves whereas uh, if politics really wants to enter into this then they need to hold discussions with acharyas they need to hold discussions with uh, all the respected authorities of uh, different sampradayas mm-hmm. and if this happens not only will their own religious ideology be uh, clarified or fine tuned for their own personal benefit but at the same time uh, these rich philosophical ideas will get an exposure to the people also through government machinery so the initial question of uh, uh, when uh, people are not curious enough and then we have to feed them stories yeah it also goes away because the government which is the biggest institute in any system yes. which is the biggest institution information correctly can do that much more systematically and properly and this was this is not new this has happened in the past uh, the as i said the associations with kings kings gathering all the uh, conducting sabhas in their courts 
So this has happened in the past multiple times. I'm sure you know the word Shastrartha. Shastrartha is the specific sabhas which are organized and hosted by kings. And they, they invite, uh, during some of the bigger Shastrartha ceremonies which have happened in India, there have been scholars invited from China, Myanmar, uh, and Indonesia, if I'm not wrong, uh, take it with a grain of salt, but Indonesia as well. And on the Western side, up till uh, Afghanistan. So scholars from that far away have come into Indian courts and have debated on religious philosophy. And that is why I say our philosophy is very fine-tuned. You cannot uh, question anything which uh, an Indian sampraday is saying and then uh, the sampraday will have to back out. No, we will have answers because we have a history and tradition of facing questions. Yeah. That, that is the job of an Acharya. That is literally the job of an Acharya to face questions and uh, fine-tune and justify and make the philosophy more reasonable and more practical and more relevant in a way which benefits the people and also makes you approach closer to the reality of the world. So, yeah, if the government has to interfere in religion, and it will, there's simply no way it won't, it has to interfere in a productive way, which is good for the government and the philosophical traditions. So, yeah, that is one thing which I wanted to add. Nice. Well, well said. Well said. I mean, this brings me to the last question of the of the episode. Uh, that, you know, when it comes to, uh, you, you initially mentioned that uh, there are one association of a humans with, you know, God is kind of a spiritual, kind of more of a content. Then there is idolism. We worship. There is temples. There is mosques. There is churches, right? Uh, which also have i would not say my exact question but also my mind goes to a point where there is a lot of donations there is a lot of economy money went into the development of these temples like if i do a random google search like the first is tirupati uh you know the, then a uh, couple of more temples i forgot the name but not saying that what it is used for a questioning it should be stopped but what is your uh you know viewpoint on that particular topic that since the connection is more of a spiritual and idealism is also one form of you know connection but uh, what is it there is a trade-off to it there is a certain trade-off so what are your views on that specific topic so this is a very good question and uh, i will be only answering from my sampradaya's perspective on this because honestly i am not well read about how all the sampradayas work Thank with their concept of money and donations. So, at least in our sampradaya, in my sampradaya, uh, we have a tanuvittija, which is the nature of connection between us and, uh, I wouldn't use the word God yeah. at this point. Yes. Krishna, I would just be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Between me and Krishna, the relation manifests in three ways. Now, the relation can be However, but it manifests, it actually takes shape in three ways. And these three ways are defined by my, by my, my very own self. As a human being, I have three dimensions in which I function. The first is the physical dimension in which my body functions. Then there is the mental dimension, which is the spiritual dimension in which my mind functions, in which my imagination, my creativity, my uh, ability to grasp knowledge, all of it comes. And then there is the emotional dimension. The emotional dimension is uh, 
emotion is now very difficult to measure by modern science uh another fun fact um, you may be knowing this but even today science has not been able to measure pain or happiness emotions basically so even today in 2020 after an operation is performed on a patient uh, the doctor has no way of knowing how much pain the patient is in and they have this uh, smiley chart which has all the emojis right from a smiley face up to an angry face and the doctor asks uh, how much pain are you feeling point out the corresponding emoji that is how they are measuring pain so it's not some scientific process as such uh, uh, so basically emotions is something which has been deeply uh, ignored by the science and it's not been ignored out of uh, by mistake i would say because science is pretty honest with it at the beginning of science you learn that science deals with measurable quantities so emotions are still not measurable you cannot measure how happy you are or how satisfied you are so there is also that dimension to a human life yeah. uh, these three dimensions uh, are what your life is your sum total ex- your total experience as uh, your emotional experience your intelligence and your physical experience when they come together you come together that is what you are as a human being as a individual yes so in order to actually do something out of this life and if i have to approach krishna i i i have these three ways in which i can approach and i, I cannot use just one way i have to use all these three ways because uh, that's all i have if i had five ways i would have used those but uh, if i just use one way and two other ways are being used in pursuit of something else then i'm just split i'm going nowhere it's like it's like uh, rowing your boat with one oar on the forward motion and one on the reverse so you just end up spinning yeah you need to focus everything in a given direction so these three dimensions uh, manifest as a tanu vittija which is tanmanan and dhan which is your physical devotion your physical dedication to that idea that cause your man which is your mental devotion and dedication to the idea cause and finally your resources dhan so now dhan again money is also a very new concept our shastras refer to the money more as a artha or resources or means to get things done so of course uh, religion and sampradays need artha because to get things done in the modern world you need that power you need that uh, ability to get things done for example if i have to host a class i have to have a subscription to zoom or cisco webex or like i i need artha i need, i need, i don't necessarily need money but i need that power to execute things What? so sampradays always need that and not just sampradays but your pursuit of krishna also needs that so in our tradition we have uh, uh, the seva of our swarup at home where uh, we buy uh, clothes we buy jewelry we buy things for our idol and we worship them and when we buy things our uh, artha is getting engaged our money is getting engaged when we actually do the seva when i am doing the shringar or when i am uh, decorating him or when i am bathing him or when i am changing my hakurji's clothes uh, my physical body is also getting engaged 
and uh, finally my mind which is a anomaly here because mind by definition cannot be engaged and that's a different topic altogether but mind has been classified as the outermost layer of our brain which is the most uh, unstable your mind is the first primary response like fire brigade like primary response of your consciousness so the moment any of your senses picks up anything like you got a noise from somewhere yeah your ear doesn't react your mind reacts but your ear sends your message to the mind mm-hmm. mind will be like oh आवाज आया क्या हुआ and then you move so the mind is the outermost and the most volatile unstable layer so that cannot be dedicated just like that yes. it needs some process so ultimately mind also needs to be engaged so artha is not we today look at money as something very different and if someone asks for money we will say kare lalchi are ye wo but uh, artha is just one of the three means of life no so uh, it, it's right along the lines of uh, emotional dedication is right along the lines of physical dedication so you need to dedicate yourself physically as well emotionally as well and monetarily as well or through artha not money particularly but you need to give that enabling empowering uh, power to whatever you are doing so i don't see uh, monetary donations purely as monetary donations but they are more empowering and enablers of the philosophy to further propagate in then to towards the next generation to and within your seva or within your personal pursuit of god yeah. they are just a way to exercise your belongings to him because uh, there is simply no other way if if you don't spend uh, your your money on krishna you will spend you will end up spending somewhere else and trust me wherever you spend your money your mind will go there try investing in a random stock and just tell me if you are not if you don't wake up and see ke stock upar gaya niche gaya your mind will go there so although the goal might be to engage your mind in krishna since your mind cannot go there you engage your money you engage your hard work in him through seva so that your mind will go there because uh, mahaprabhu ji knows where your priorities are ki paisa wahan laga hai to man bhi wahan lagega another aspect of this but yeah the idea is to not look at it in monetary sense but in a very enabling way and in a way to manifest your uh, connection because that's the only way you have Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That that's it. I mean, that's it pretty much from this episode of Kekat. I mean, thank you so much. This was the most, I guess, fulfilling discussion. I would say. Uh. Yeah. I mean, glad that we did this. I remember that we I spoke to you that time. Wanted to have and talk about this specific topics with you. But I think Kekat was also uh, Kekat was also gonna be here. Yes, I I was I mean I just recorded a podcast with Krutat and Kavi, uh, sorry Krutat and one other friend Manan, uh, a week back. But I just I just thought that uh, he doesn't need to be present here because we have the same questions. <laughs> you see, like if he was here, we would both be repeating the same question. So uh-huh. I was just thinking about that. I'm gonna tell him that I'm gonna send him the video immediately after this. I mean, then record it later on. That because this is a conversation we had, but we both pretty much have the same questions. So I mean, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you for uh, joining. And also, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's two o'clock here, but trust me, I don't uh, feel like uh, bored or anything like that. 
Yeah. Uh, honest and frank conversations is always a delight to the mind. I can tell you that. Yeah. It's the best effort this thing can have. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, this was this was really. I mean, this uh, this is kind of an episode that I want to listen after three four years after. <laughs> you know, just like let's see how what how my views have changed. So, thank you again. Thanks. Yeah, for- I also have changed. Huh? My views have, might also have changed. So one thing disclaimer here: although I introduced myself as an acharya, I'm a very young acharya, and I'm no authority in my sampradaya. I'm a very small acharya who's still learning. So yeah, my views are constantly changing. And that's how you grow. I mean, when if your views aren't changing, then if our views aren't changing, then there is no growth. That's it. I mean, that's it from the eleventh episode of Kerkat. Hope you guys liked it. Uh, because I had super super fun recording this episode. I mean, I was in that zone for two hours having this conversation with Vatsal, and it was a blast pretty much for me. This was the most contentful conversation I have had in a long time. Uh, so share it with your friends, your colleagues, uh, your parents. I mean, not because it is a Kerkat episode, but such kind of conversation we need to have with each other. See you next time then. So until then. Stay safe and keep tuning. I mean, you can just finish that movie and start watching. I right think I have to say that was one of the points that escalated. I really loved that scene. Yeah, yeah. And this is Kekat. Kekat.